There are things that I used to believe and even teach that I no longer believe because I continue to grow and learn what God's Word says. And I just want to say that with some humility on the front end. And God's Word continues to be opened up to, to grow, and, and, and God's Word continues to be opened up to us. And we have to handle it carefully. So when I went to seminary, uh, they, we, they gathered all, there's about a hundred of us, and they gathered us in the chapel for this orientation, and the dean of students walks up, the dean of the divinity school walked up, and the first thing out of his mouth, this was uh, several years ago, and I still remember it, he said, uh, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to take a stance. We have to be willing to stand on what we believe. And he said, but we have to do that on our knees. And I really believe that. And then the next thing he said, he said, I believe that about 80% of my theology is correct. I just don't know which 80%. <laughs> and I can relate to that. So just that's a foundation for us to, to build on and start with as we go into this. All right. So does anybody have any questions you've just been keeping you up at night you want to wrestle with? I think Ron has a microphone because we are on, are on the podcast. Don't be shy. Hang on, Mark. As we're approaching the uh, Christmas season, why is the incarnation of Christ important to us? Yeah, so why is the incarnation of Christ important? We're actually going to have a sermon series on that starting this Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. So... There's, there's a couple of reasons that the incarnation of, of Christ is important. I don't know if you've ever wondered, like, if God is God and God can do anything, then why did God have to do it this way, right? Like, why not just say you're forgiven or whatever? Well, there's a couple of things that Jesus does for us that are critical. So let me turn to John 1, because we want to be rooted in Scripture here. This is not my opinion, so what God's Word has to say. So John 1, 1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And it talks about John the Baptist coming into the world. Uh, to prepare the way, to be a witness. In verse 10, talking about Jesus again, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Uh, go on to uh, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. 
All right, so there's a couple of reasons here of why Jesus had to be born. The, one, the first is, and I love this about God, is that if you want to know God, you have to get to know Jesus. That he is the perfect reflection of who God is. That we got to uh, see things through the, the word and we get to experience things through the spirit that the prophets of God longed for before Jesus ever showed up. And so if we want to know the true, full character of God, we have to look at the life of Jesus. Uh, he's the one who gives us a full revelation. He is also the fulfillment of all of God's law. So that in a way where we could never fulfill what God has called us to do, Jesus did perfectly. He was also the perfect sacrifice. And this is what the early church spent a couple hundred years trying to put words to that he's fully divine and fully human, neither nature compromised. He's not a mix. Uh, he's not one or the other. He doesn't take one off to be the other. He's both fully human and fully divine all at the same time, all the time. And the reason that's important is because uh, sin is a human problem and it's offense against a holy and eternal God. And so as humans, we could not deal with the holy and eternal problem of sin because we're neither holy nor eternal. We're broken and we're finite human beings. We're mortal. And so we, we can never offer, there could never be enough sacrifices to deal with the problem of sin because there's nothing that is eternal that we could offer up to God. But it's also a human problem. And so it had to be a human offering. And so I, I love what John says. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I'm going to touch on this on Sunday just a little bit, but that he made his home among us, it literally means he set up his tent with us, which is supposed to be an image of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And what happened in the, in the tabernacle? That's where the glory and the presence of God resided. And so the glory and the presence of God resided in a human body. But he took on human flesh to be able to offer up an offering that was applied to human life, but he was eternal God that could deal with the eternal problem. Uh, he also showed us the way to follow Jesus. That's part of the reason he came, is what does it look like or to follow God? What does it look like to live in relationship with God in a human life? Well, he showed us what that looks like. Uh, he also came to give us hope. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody uh, that has lost hope it is probably the most devastating, heartbreaking place that a person can live in. And Jesus came to bring us hope that the empty tomb, you know, I've said it many times, it's one of the things I hold on to. As Christians, we have to have a relentless grip on hope. That's what sets us apart. And then he came, he told us this, to give us joy. That we could live our life in, in suffering and live it with joy. That the, the Christian life, the purpose is not to avoid suffering. The, the Christian life is to give purpose to suffering. And, and that is critical. There's a book that came out, I think it was the, the early 90s, called The Road Less Traveled. It was a, a psychology book. And right at the beginning of the book, he says that uh, almost all, if not all, of mental illness is rooted in the human temptation to avoid suffering. And that in our workarounds, physiologically and emotionally, 
our workarounds suffering bring us all kinds of mental illness because human, human life is not intended to avoid suffering, but to bring purpose to it. And when we bring purpose to our suffering, it, we can have joy in the midst of it. So that's, that's why Jesus had to be born. So I'm not from a denomination that recognized or talked about the Advents. Could you give some uh, information on that and the importance of it? Of the season of Advent? Yeah. So Advent, uh, it's a season of waiting and anticipation. Uh, Advent is a season like Lent to prepare yourself for uh, the coming of Christ. And it's it's rooted in, uh, I think there's four uh, characteristics of God that we celebrate. There's love, joy, peace, and hope. And each Sunday, am I leaving one out, John? Yeah, love, joy, peace, and hope. And we, we reflect on those and we celebrate those. Uh, I don't think it's, I mean, it's not wrong. It's not um, it's not theologically incorrect and it's a good practice. I don't think it's rooted in a commandment of God or uh, ordinance of Jesus. Um, it's not a, a biblical practice necessarily, but it's, it's theologically correct. I mean, it's a good thing for us to anticipate the birth of Christ and to, be, uh, to do it together and to celebrate those aspects of God that Jesus does bring love, joy, peace, and hope. Um, my family, we celebrate it at home. We have an Advent um, candle, you know, we, we kind of go through that. But I don't, is, that, is that fair? I don't know. Somebody else, I didn't grow up in a denomination either necessarily, so it was new to me as a high school student. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are rhythmic people. Like, we live in rhythms, and we live, live seasonally, and that's kind of how God created us. That's why we have seasons of the year and the sun and moon to mark the timing of the year. That's, that's kind of how our brains and our hearts work. And so that's a good practice to see yourself in certain rhythms. Well, along those lines, uh, I come from a very different denomination mm -hmm. background as well, and uh, uh, and so I know there's no right or wrong here. I don't believe, but uh, just kind of curious on the thought. Uh, uh, in those that denomination, there was never a worship service, you know, Sunday, Wednesday, whenever, uh, where a, a an invitation to receive Christ was not given and come forward and we'd mm -hmm. sit down with the counselor stuff like that. No, this is a little different. And just your your thoughts and 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 on that, please, sir. Yeah, I don't have uh, a problem whatsoever with uh, having an invitation in worship to come to Christ. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. You know, we want to see people come to Christ. Um, you know, we're, we're not a, we're, we don't have a culture here at Get Well where, you know, it's, we're going to sing another verse of just as I am until somebody comes down. Um, you know, I wonder sometimes, does somebody finally come down just so they can go home? But 
we, part of the reason that here at Get Well that we, we do this the way we do is because we want conversion to be genuine and we want it to be rooted in discipleship. So as I read Matthew 28, which is the final command of Jesus to the disciples prior to the commissioning of the disciples in Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit, the command was rooted in discipleship. So this is what he says. Let me find it. Jesus came and told his disciples, I'm in Matthew 28, 18, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, which I was sharing earlier, this is just a little side note, how I keep learning new things as I walk through scripture. Um, I was going, I'm going through Holy Week in my personal reading time right now. And on Tuesday of Holy Week, Jesus is teaching in the temple and he starts after he gives a sermon, there's a Q&A time in the courts, and he gets peppered with all these questions, and their questions are rooted in authority. Who gave you authority to do these things? And Jesus quotes to them a psalm that the cornerstone has been rejected. And I went back and I read that psalm, which is a good practice, by the way. Like, anytime you see something quoted, you should go back and read it in its entirety. That psalm is all about the authority of God which is powerful. So Jesus starts his command here with, the authority of God has been given to me, that's why this matters. And so don't worry about you not having what it takes, or not having the words, or not having the, that remember Jesus said, don't worry about what you're gonna say, the Spirit will give you the words. Like, don't worry about your authority, I have authority, and so that's why you're doing this. So I have all authority been given in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. His command to convert is rooted in discipleship, that he wants people to follow him. And so that's at our heart. We want people to come to Christ, but we want them to, to follow Jesus, not just agree with him. And I look at scripture and it says that even the demons believe and shudder. And I I don't want a church full of folks who believe. I want a church full of folks who follow. And we know and we hold on to this reality that the Holy Spirit has to bring conversion. We can't manipulate it. We can't have an emotional moment. And, And I do... I, I quit asking who's going to heaven a long time ago. I'm just going to say that up front. But I do wonder how many people have said a prayer, but there's not a genuine conversion. And we just want to make sure that what we do is we encourage lifelong discipleship and a relationship with Christ and submission and obedience. Now, there have been times in the last few months where I have said, like, in the prayer time at the end, what this is about right now is if you're not following Christ, this is that moment. And so I I do think there's a time and a place appropriate for that. But then it's also a practical reason for us, most of the leaders in in our church, we believe that most real conversion comes through relationship. And so we, we want to try to encourage our people that, that share Christ, share the gospel with your words and actions every day. And then what we do when we come together on Sundays, we celebrate what happened Monday through Saturday. And we reorient ourselves to the kingdom of God. 
so that we can bring it to our world on Monday through Saturday. And so conversion is, that's why we do what we do, but it's rooted in discipleship. Like I, I love the two things that Jesus talked about in the gospels most. Well, three things. One was money. We're just gonna set that aside for a second. But the other two he talked about was the kingdom of God and discipleship. So when he gave an invitation, I've talked about this before, he, it always was these three words, come follow me. That was always what he said. And that was rooted in a first century understanding of what a rabbi was and what they did. That you went to school, kind of like your first few years of school, kindergarten, elementary school, to learn the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you were to memorize it. And then if you were really good at that and you were one of the best, you would go on to the next level of school and you would memorize the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. And if you were the very best of the best of the best of that, a rabbi would come to you and they would say, come follow me. Because they thought that you could do what they did. But the point was not to learn what that rabbi learned because you had already memorized the Old Testament. <laughs> you already knew it. The point was to, to be able to do what they did. This is give context to why Peter, he's on the boat with Jesus and Jesus is walking on water and Peter cries out, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. Because Peter understood the role of a disciple was not to know what the, the rabbi knew, but to do what the rabbi did. And he wanted to do what his rabbi was doing. And so the point is transformation, not knowledge. And that's what conversion is. It's transformation. It's a new life. Jesus said the way that you understand a tree is by its fruit. That I transform life. And so that's what we want. Now, that's, I'm not, that's not a commentary on, you know, last-minute salvation or anything like that. Like we're saved by grace alone, through faith. That's the only way. It's not behavior. But we do want to see people fall in love with Jesus and not just, you know, fire insurance. And so that's kind of why we do it the way we do it. That's no commentary on the way other people do it. The Holy Spirit works in a variety of ways. And the point is, is that the Holy Spirit, first, Second Corinthians says, removes the veil from those who don't believe. That the, we want the Spirit to remove the veil that we can receive the gospel to follow Christ. That's my perspective. There's many perspectives in the church. Thank, thank God for his grace that he works through so many different perspectives and, and methods and through the body of Christ. But that's just why we do it the way we do it here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So uh, from like a process standpoint, I think that when we come in here, on, on a Sunday or whatever, and, and we listen to uh, a teaching or preaching, um, I think sometimes I take for granted what might have gone into the whole process of selecting that topic and, and all the way up to, you know, the week of, of, of how you prep for that or, or how any of the staff preps for that. How, what's the process for selecting a topic and then from from kind of cradle to grave on that. Okay. So what, and on a Sunday, basically? Basically. Yeah. On a so. Or your, your per, even your personal preparation for, for how you do it. Okay. So my, 
Um, different pastors do it different ways. Uh, my personal devotion is not the same as my teaching prep. So I separate those two. Not everybody does, but I do. So the way we do it is six to nine months previous to that given month, myself, Hunter, Michelle Jenkins, who's our, uh, over our worship ministries, Nate Russell from our Hernando campus, uh, we gather and we, uh, we've been talking to people in the congregation for a while. We had a, a team of folks that we met with once a quarter to kind of get a feel for what's happening in the congregation and things that they were struggling with. And that just got hard to get everybody there consistently. So that kind of fell by the wayside. But we, we're just always watching and listening and through pastoral care, taking notes. And then the four of us, we come together uh, probably once a quarter. And we bring ideas, and sometimes those ideas are fully fleshed out, and sometimes it's just an idea, and we put them on the table, and I kid you not, it, it's astonishing how often we come together and there's unity in what we feel like God's leading us to do before we ever get in that room. Because we're praying through it, we're asking the Lord, what do you want us to teach? And so it, most of the time it's pretty easy because we come to the room and we're all thinking the same thing. And so we, we try to do it like we're planned out. Um, we don't have the summer planned right now, but we, plan, we have August planned out. So we have January through May, and then we have August planned. Um, just because we're praying through, Lord, what is it you want to say to your people? And then after we kind of get that worked out, uh, either me or Hunter or Nate will take that series and we'll flesh out each week. So here's the scripture references, here's topics, and then we have some freedom because I don't know like, if you've ever been in something similar, but it's really hard to take somebody else's idea and present it as your own in your heart. And so there's freedom from week to week to like, just take the topic and flesh it out as God leads you. Um, but that's kind of how we do it. We do it months in advance. And then Michelle has her creative team that she meets with and they talk through music and videos and creative elements. And sometimes one of the guys who are presenting, whether it's Greg or me or Hunter or Nate, uh, we will have an idea as well that we might pitch to the team of, hey, what do you think about this? And, and they shape it around that. And what we always try to do is we try to, to center the whole time on uh, the word of God and worship of him and try to, try to filter out a lot of other things. So while we don't do a lot of specials, um, we don't do a lot of dramas and stuff like that because it's not entertainment. We want it to be the word of God and worship of him. And we, we don't always do a perfect job, but we're trying to get better of even our songs, making sure that they're singing to God and not about God because we want it to be about worship and not a performance. Does that answer? Yeah. Why do we not have communion every Sunday? I don't know. And maybe, I mean, that predates before I ever got here. I'm, um, I don't know what the, I haven't thought about it. Is, is that a request? Growing up Catholic, 
Yeah. Right. Right. So, all right, I'm going to try not to get on a tangent, but, but you bring up a really good, this is actually a soapbox for me. Um, all right. How much time we got? All right. 90% of what we do as a church is not rooted in the life of Jesus. It's rooted in the time between 300 and 500 A.D., the, the, the history of the church, and when I say Catholic, I don't mean today's Catholic church. I'm talking about that 200-year period when Rome and the church married each other. It is so deeply rooted in that 200 years of history. And then you had the, the, on the West, it was very political. It was a political divide. You had the Eastern Orthodox and then the Roman Catholic and then denominations spurred off of that, almost always for political reasons, until many years, a thousand years later from that, when it became about, around, about revivals and theological issues. And then the move to the Americas, the Puritans came, and then you got the Anabaptists, and you've got, which were not Baptists, by the way, that's a whole other arm. Uh, Baptists are not rooted in Anabaptists, it's, it's a, you're a whole other family. Uh, Methodists are actually not rooted in the Reformation. We were rooted in the Church of England uh, for, through the movement of John Wesley. Uh, like there's, anyway, but here's what I want to get to. That, that 200-year period of history when Rome and the church married one another, we established practices that have forever laid its mark on the church. When, we, when Jesus established his ecclesia, his, his assemblies, and ecclesia was a political Roman term, an ecclesia was a group that was established by the Roman emperor to go throughout the empire to, to decree things that he wanted to see happen in the empire. It might be a tax law, it might be uh, a new festival, it might be something of that nature, and these groups would go around the empire to talk about what the emperor wanted. And the, and the early followers of Jesus adopted that term because they had a new king and they wanted to tell the world about who he was and what he wanted. Almost always, if not always, the first 200 years of the church, these were rooted in community. They met in homes. They were not established as an organization until about 300 A.D., that's when the organization and the institutionalization of the church began. And the emperor used the church as a way to solidify his empire. Since that moment, our understanding of church has changed. So when Jesus said, I want you to have this Passover meal with one another, he literally was talking about having a meal together, not a 10-minute moment of worship where we took a little cup and a piece of bread. He was talking about come together around a table in your home, have a meal, and in that meal, celebrate what I've done and recreate the Passover and do that weekly as a context of worship. And so when we, we are so far removed from that. So somebody asked me one time about the, like, should we change the way we do communion? And I started thinking about it to be more biblical. And I told them, I said, we are so far removed from biblical 
when it comes to how we do worship and we do communion, that there's no context for us to even think about being biblical. Now, that's not a a slap on the wrist or a shame on us. It's just the world that we live in, and we're trying to live in our context. And so we have to be so very careful with how we talk about it. Um, And I don't mean to get, like, on a soapbox or get on a tangent, but I just want us to realize, like, where we are and why we are where we are. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have communion every week. Certainly we could. Um, Personally and practically, like, it cuts into the worship time. And not that it's not a part of worship, but it's also a theological difference. Um, a A whole arm of the church had a theological perspective that the worship time was rooted in the Word, whereas Roman Catholicism and the Episcopals are rooted in communion. And so it's just a theological difference on what is the, the precipice of the worship gathering. And the reason there's a theological difference is because we are, have been removed from what biblical ecclesia was supposed to be, that in the beginning, those were never be, to be removed because it wasn't an institution. There wasn't a time frame. It was we're doing life together all the time. The meal and the word always went together because we are always together. That's why you make sense of Acts 2 where they sold all their belongings. Like, how in the world do we make sense of that today? Like, we're far removed from biblical understanding of church. And just to be raw with you, about three years ago, you know, I, we have an Easter rehearsal to get ready for the services every Easter. And we pray over the building afterwards. And I sit right up there about the third row for about two hours after everybody left in the dark wrestling with all this because here's what was running through my mind. When do we get to a point where we have to have a two-hour rehearsal to share the gospel? Because we are so far removed from biblical sense of church that it is hard for us to even wrap our mind around what Christ and the Spirit wants us to do. I don't have answers for that and maybe you don't want to hear your pastor say that. But that's just where my heart is, that I love the church, but I'm so humbled understanding what God has called us to do and and how hard it is to get there. And and that's why we're so careful in any decisions we make to make sure that it's the Lord leading us. Because it's just, it's messy. Does that make sense? But that's probably way more than you asked for. But... No, you've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I wrestle with just to be honest with you, I don't know how many people come in our doors week after week who have an abiding relationship with Christ. You know, the context of communion was the the body of Christ that are filled with the Spirit. And there's some denominations who won't even let you take communion if you're not a, an abiding member of Christ. And so that, that's a whole other context to wrestle with of what is the purpose of the Sunday morning? Is it to evangelize or is it the gathering of believers? Well, ideally it's the, the gathering of believers, but we live in a world that where there's, especially in the South, where that's so confused, you don't know who's a follower of Christ or not. It just gets difficult.
Hang on, hang on. Got to get you on the podcast. Well, you, I, I didn't know if you were awake back there. <laughs> kind of lead into that. Now, Jonathan, you know, when you read through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he said, you know, I, I give you a first importance that Christ died for our sins. Mm -hmm. And then he ends in 16 talking about, you know, stand firm, you know, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. So in between that, you have a lot of now expressive individualism where it's all about me. It's all about how I feel today. And to invite those people in and walk them back to the truth, how do we answer their hard questions? Yeah. So my, what I call modern-day westernized Christianity, I call it individualistic therapeutic deism. It is not about a God or a family. It's about me. It's not about obedience. It's about making a better version of me. And it's not about the person of Christ. It's about a spiritual being. That is not Christianity. But that is what many of quote-unquote Christians have adopted in the United States. That's why it's so easily tied to a political party, a cultural economic worldview, and all the other trappings. We have to change our mindset from trying to convince people to follow Jesus and just present the gospel. Because that is the problem that Years ago, the church decided it was our role to convince people to follow Jesus, and so we began to change the gospel to make it more attractive. And so that's why we have churches now who don't follow the word anymore. They changed places with God, and they decided who gets to make the rules. We're no longer worshiping a king. All right, so, so that has to be our mindset, is that we have a king. He's in control. There's a Holy Spirit who convicts, and it's not me. And so we've got, that makes, to me, that makes it easier to answer people's questions because I don't have the, I don't bear the weight of their salvation or their therapeutic transformation. <laughs> like, that's not on me. So how do we answer people's questions? Well, we have to be available. We have to be willing to say, I don't know. We have to know the word. We've got to be daily in prayer that we're indwelled by the spirit. Um. And we have to understand that church, what happens, what we think of church is 1% of what the church is about. Like what we think is Sunday morning, we think of programs, we think of Bible studies, we think of discipleship groups. That's 1%. That the other 99% is living our lives together on mission, like understanding that, that you have a purpose and a mission so that you get on a platform in a, at a moment and you're available to do life with each other, to answer questions, to support people, to be present. And we just have to be willing to step into the messy stuff and say, let's figure this out together. And to see people as people and not a notch on your belt. And if you don't ever believe what I want you to believe, that's not up to me to be okay with or not. Like, I just have to love you and let the Lord work that out. Like I think about the, the massive wildfire movements of the early church 
were not because people were standing on street corners sharing the gospel. It's because they were taking care of the sick during the bubonic plague. Like they, they, were all, they were loving people and caring for people. And then they said, oh, by the way, the reason I'm doing this is because there's a God who loves you and his name is Jesus and he's transformed my life. And they, they matched that with the word. And, and I just think like sometimes we think our role is to club people over the head and drag them to church or a program instead of like being present and incarnational in their life. And I think most of the questions will get answered in the living room or on a back porch or over coffee than they will on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study or a Sunday school class. But I don't know that many of us really stop to think that that's our calling, but it's all of our calling. I mean, part of the, I love doing this, but the the reality is, is that my role is not to answer questions. My role is to equip you to live out your calling. And so I don't know that that's answering your question, but like I'm just trying to share my heart on that is we just have to be available. We have to be intentional. We have to know the word. You know, you guys have probably heard me say on the platform before, this is not an index. Like the way you read the word is not to say, all right, what does it say about finances? Because I'm dealing with my financial problems. What does it have to say about marriage? Because I'm dealing with my marriage problems. No, this has to be read with the, with the idea that it has to indwell me. And so I'm reading it daily, not with the idea that I've got to get something out of this today. No, it's I'm living in it because it's got to live in me and it, something might speak to me six months from now that I read today. And just and living in it like that so that we can, so we're available, we're intentional, and then we, we know the word, we're in prayer. And, and I really think like when we're living that way, we don't have to, think about formulas or practices on how I'm going to help people or answer questions. It's just going to naturally flow out. I love this one. I can't remember chapter and verse, but it says that the Lord will give you the desire and the ability to do what pleases him. Like that is so my prayer. Like I don't want to have to force it. I just want what naturally comes out of me to be what pleases God. I don't want to think about practices of conversion or discipleship or van. I just want it to be naturally through the transformation of the spirit just coming out of me. I'm, anybody else got any answers on, on that? It's not, I'm not the, the only one here. Hey, I, I don't have to be anywhere till nine. I know we got to close out <laughs> and, and people got to go to work, but I'll stick around if, if y'all want. All right. Anybody else? Thank you, Jonathan. That was awesome.